0: Jesus, we thank and praise you that you have come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us to be drawn even closer to your definition of your kingdom, of your lordship over our lives. And may this truth begin with us today as we are grown closer to you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Our reading comes from John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he was called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the pharisees said to one another see this is getting us nowhere look how the whole world has gone after him this is the word of the lord thanks be to god A few uh, weeks ago now was was spring break For our family, Uh, that would have been the case. I know for most of us here today, and especially those of us with kids who get the chance to take the week off. Anybody here travel for spring break this year? Show of hands. Okay, a couple of you did. Not too many people. Um, My wife Alyssa and I, we decided that. That, that we were going to try to attempt and brave for the first time as a family of seven. We have a six-month-old. Um, that we were going to we were gonna try a few nights away on a road trip. And so we traveled about six hours away. We went to Cincinnati, Ohio, which is not the spring break capital of the world, in case you're <laughs> wondering. It snowed while we were there. Um, but it was far enough away, it was close enough that we felt safe trying this. And it was far enough away that there were some cool things for families to do within. Kind of the general area that we were staying in, and so so we went to like for example the Cincinnati Zoo. If anybody's ever been there before, really cool place. I guess it's known as like the best zoo in the country, um, and and it's it's really very impressive. We went to the Ark exhibit in Kentucky that shows this this life-size biblical Noah's Ark. That was very cool. But my favorite place, and it should the Ark should be my favorite place because I'm a pastor. But I have to tell you that my what my favorite place was I think was was the place we went to on the first day. We went to the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force in Dayton, Ohio. Has anybody here been to that show of hands? Okay, a couple of you, not enough. You've got to check this out. It's the home of the Wright Brothers, right? Dayton, Ohio. And it is absolutely free. You don't have to pay to get in. And you could spend an entire week there if you had the time and didn't have five kids that are hungry and ready to go. Um, They have, you could walk through every era of aviation and Air Force history. You walk through world wars. I mean, it's just Just very sobering and awe-inspiring at the same time. And there were two exhibits that were my favorite. The first one was the Boeing VC-137, which you might know by its call sign when it carries the President of the United States, Air Force One. They have an actual Air Force One at this Museum, Like, you can walk through it. It's there. It's not a replica. It's that exact thing that you're seeing right there on the screen. You'll see um, on the lower right, it, the picture turned out really small, but that's my wife and my father-in-law and our two boys. I said as they came out, you got to do the presidential wave. And so that's what we did. We took a picture, some video. We had a whole lot of fun. Um, but th- this is an actual Air Force One plane. It was retired in 1998, and you can physically walk through it. And you can see the inside. And if you look at their website, they describe it in detail, share just the first sentence. During its 36-year flying career, this plane carried eight sitting presidents, countless heads of state, diplomats, dignitaries, and officials on many historic journeys known as Special Air Missions. And so I read a bunch about the history of this particular plane, and one of the, I think the most striking examples of just the significance of this particular aircraft is that it was put into service during President Kennedy's term. His wife, First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy, chose the paint scheme that's still used today, and it would be used to carry the president everywhere, including carrying President Kennedy to Dallas, Texas, where he would be tragically assassinated. And it was on board that particular plane that Vice President Johnson would be somberly sworn in as the President of the United States, and the new interior of that plane would have to be modified just months after it was put into service in order to be able to carry the casket of President Kennedy to its final resting place. After that, it would go on for 36 years to carry presidents Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush Sr., um, Clinton, and part other important dignitaries, guests of the president. Queen Elizabeth II flew in that specific plane. And so to be able to walk through that history, to see the phones and think, wow, the president talked on that phone, it was just breathtaking, really. But it also brought to mind what we were looking ahead to at that time. That's just a few weeks ago, and that's today, Palm Sunday. And how important and powerful people in our lives are welcomed. By us, how they expect to be welcomed, and how we welcome them in. You think about the President of the United States, and it doesn't stop at Air Force One, but there's this entire entourage that goes wherever the President goes, isn't there? There's Secret Service, there's police, there's military vehicles, there's crowds. When the President goes anywhere, there's always a crowd. Crowds of people that are there to support them, crowds of people that just want to see the President, crowds of people that are there to protest what the president is doing. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and it's a day that we remember the historical event when Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, entered the crowded city of Jerusalem as crowds were gathering there for the Passover. And the official means of transportation that was commissioned by Jesus himself was not a state-of-the-art airplane. It was not a mighty stallion. Instead, he requested a young donkey that nobody had ever ridden before, that he didn't even want to keep, that he would just borrow. It'd be like today if the president decided instead of flying on Air Force One, he's going to fly standby economy on an airline that you've never heard of, The kind that you have to pay for the stale peanuts if you want to have anything to eat. This is the way in which Jesus came. And I actually love how Wrangler, as he was coming in, we had all these ideas. Everybody was asking me, Pastor, you've invited a donkey to church. How's this going to work? How's this going to work for the carpet? How is this going to work for all the people, right? Right, And I love that That it took a little bit. We, we, we learned this, right? I didn't know this, but Judy knew this. As he was coming in, he didn't want to come in because the way in which they can see, they can't see very well. And the color was different on the carpet. And so it took him a while to come in. And then he came in, and my son Jacob was Jesus on him. Um, did a really good job, uh, very brave to do that. Um, and he kind of stopped, right? Wrangler kind of moved to the side, and he... he kick Jacob off, Jacob fell, right? And, and, and I, I, I actually love that that happened because that's a donkey. <laughs> and that's the way in which Jesus chose to come into Jerusalem. Not not on a stallion, not in a chariot, not on a plane, not with an entourage of secret service. And it doesn't make sense if you know the rest ...of the story, especially if you know the way in which the people there were welcoming him in. Take out your your palm branches that you got as you came in. They waved their palm branches. I want you to do this with me. This is what they did. And they yelled, Hosanna. Yell Hosanna. Those of you at home, I can hear you. Yell Hosanna with us. Hosanna, right? Hosanna comes from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 came from generations before in Jewish history where they proclaimed God's victory, his military victory over their enemies. And so they were waving this palm branch and yelling Hosanna, which means save us. And the palm branch itself was a symbol of Jewish nationalism. It would have been used on Jewish coins. And all of this was very clearly communicating to Jesus that what they expected was that he would come into Jerusalem and he would overthrow the Romans and he would put them back in charge. And so he comes in and they ask him to do it. And he rides on a donkey but it starts to make sense if we look at the prophecies that came before Jesus. If, if you look, John, John's gospel says in what we read a few minutes ago that the disciples didn't fully put all this stuff together until after everything took place. But Jesus knew that the Jewish people had been waiting for generations For a Messiah to come and save them from their oppressors. Just like we cry out to Jesus to come and save us from whatever it is that oppresses us. They were waiting for generations. And there was a prophecy that was delivered 500 some years before Jesus by the prophet Zechariah. A word that came from God. And it goes like this, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. This is how you're going to know that the one who's coming to save you from oppression, this is how you're going to know who it is. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, this was spoken generations before Jesus, and they were told that this is the way in which your Savior is going to come. Victorious, which is what we want But also lowly. And that doesn't seem right, does it? Victorious and lowly sound like opposite terms. Now, I think back on, I I told you I I had um, really thought a lot about Air Force One when I walked by. It was very cool. And so I've been reading about it the last couple of weeks. And, and I learned about just how impressive this, this thing is. Um, I don't know, Pam, if you want to throw the picture back up again, just, just to look at it while you just listen. To, this is not your, your average Boeing commercial jet. Uh, but if you read about the way in which Air Force One has been designed, it is made to withstand a nuclear attack. It, it, it can be refueled mid-flight so that the president can remain the, the commander-in-chief from 30,000 feet up in the air if whatever's happening on the ground requires it. There's an onboard medical room with a pharmacy and a fold-out operating table. Now, I don't know what the fold-out part. I'm thinking of like a TV tray. I hope it's made better than that. But, but the president has a physician that follows that, them wherever they go. And, and so there's an operating room if something were to happen and it would be needed. I noticed something else, probably because we hadn't had lunch yet. There are not one but two kitchens on Air Force One to cook. It includes equipment that can jam enemy radar flares that can deflect heat-seeking missiles. And these are just the features we know about. There's top-secret features that we'll probably never know. Every single time Air Force One takes flight, it is considered by our government a classified military operation, and it costs over $200,000 an hour to fly. And those are old numbers. (laughs) Probably a million dollars now. I don't know. But the reason why all of that is true is because a lot can happen. And the world is a very dangerous place. And so when Air Force One flies, it is a sobering reminder every time it takes off and lands. It is a reminder, looking up at it, right? It's a reminder of victory and strength. It's incredible. It's an incredible feat of technology. But it is the opposite of the image of lowly. And I flesh that out for you to contrast and compare it to the way in which Jesus enters Jerusalem. If you look at John chapter 11, you'll see just before this, Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. It's one of the two times in the Gospels that Jesus is recorded as crying. First one was as he stood outside his tomb before he raises him, and the second one is outside of Jerusalem in the context that we're reading about right now. And so he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. He got sick, he died, he had been dead for a couple of days. He raises him from the dead temporarily. He would die again, of course. But that caused a bit of stir. You think bringing a, a donkey to church causes a stir, You raise someone from the dead, that causes a stir. And people started to talk. And the religious leaders of the day decided Jesus was getting too popular. And so they decided to plot to kill him. And in John chapter 11, just the chapter before Palm Sunday in John's gospel, Jesus and the disciples go and they hide in the country in order not to be killed. And yet, we turn to chapter 12, and by verse 12 we see Jesus, not only is he no longer hiding, but he is riding into Jerusalem in a crowd in the open air while people are yelling statements that begin political revolution They're waving palm branches, and they're yelling, Hosanna, save us. This is the kind of entrance that's going to get a world leader like Jesus killed. And it will. By Friday of this week, he's going to be dead. And by riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a donkey, it's almost like Jesus is saying, to the world I'm going to let this happen. It's almost as if he's walking in and it begs us to ask the question, if we want him to save us like they wanted him to save them, how could he possibly be victorious if he's going to be dead? I mean, if he's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, all of that, shouldn't he have An entourage of secret service security detail around him. Shouldn't we be protecting Jesus the way we protect the president with Air Force One? How is he going to crush our enemies if he isn't going to survive past Thursday? Well, to find the answer, we've got to look back at the prophets. And so 500 years before Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, again, we see why he came in on a donkey, right? Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. That's verse 9. Let's read the next verse, very next verse, verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow that will be broken. It will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. See, the story of Palm Sunday is that Jesus came for a victory for those who followed him that was greater than anything they or us could ever imagine. Here's how I'd summarize it. King Jesus came to crush our enemies. But he came to crush our enemies by crushing the root of what makes us enemies in the first place. He came to crush our enemies by crushing the root of what makes us enemies in the first place. See, a donkey might not represent the political might that a chariot does. But a donkey does represent peace. You don't ride into a city on a donkey if you're in danger which makes Palm Sunday that much more meaningful yet because we know that Jesus is about to die. In a couple of days, he's about to die. By Thursday evening, he's going to get betrayed by the 12 men closest to him. He's going to have one of them kiss him that's going to lead to his arrest, another one Peter, right, he's going to be ready to pull out his sword, right, but at the same time when Jesus is being beaten and killed and dragging his own execution device, Peter of all people is going to say I don't even know him and then Jesus is going to drag that cross to a hill, he has to carry it himself and they're going to nail him to it, they're going to rip off his clothes, the son of God is going to hang in front of everyone for all to see and he is going to die in front of them, physically naked and spiritually naked and mentally naked and alone. And that's what's going to happen on Friday. And so we go back and he enters this week. He's God. He's got to have an idea what's coming. And yet he enters Jerusalem this week in peace, on a donkey. How? How? Why? Well, because he knows that the worst thing that could possibly happen to him this week is that he could be killed. And that's got to be exactly what he came to do. And the reason he came to do it is so that he could walk through death and come out the other side. And that's more important than a political victory. That's more important than a militaristic victory. Victory. We need victory over death. I stood and talked and prayed with with a mom who lost her daughter just a year ago after the last service. She doesn't need a political victory. She needs a victory over death. Over her death of herself and of her daughter. And we need victory over death too. In the very image of a donkey. Jesus coming in on a donkey suggests that there is a confidence on the part of Jesus that victory and peace must already be his. And because they're already his, he doesn't have to hide. The president of the United States, until Jesus comes back, will always have to hide. They're developing a brand new Air Force One right now as we speak that'll be stronger and faster and more protective than the one that we have now. The president will always have to hide, and on our own, so will you, and so will I. Some of us hide from shame, right? The things that are dark in our lives that we don't want anybody to see. Some of us hide from a guilt that has not yet been lifted. Others of us are hiding and cowering in fear. Which is why Jesus came on Palm Sunday to say, not anymore. For those of you who follow me, I came to destroy the things that destroy you. I came to destroy the shame that you carry that you might not have to carry it anymore. I came to destroy the guilt. I came to destroy the fear. I came, according to the words of the prophet, to take away the chariots and the war horses, to break the bow, to break the guns, to break the weapons, because they will not be needed in my kingdom anymore. I did not come to bring peace through war. I came to bring you peace from war, so that war would be no more. Who here wants that kingdom to come to earth right now? Show of hands, come on. I can't help but think about this. As I look at the news, and here we are, how many weeks, months now, into this conflict that we're watching happen before our eyes between Russia and Ukraine And I know a lot of us are just exhausted. We don't even know how to think about these things anymore, and let alone pray about them. Don't we all want Vladimir Putin to be overcome? Don't we want his evil to be taken over? Absolutely. Are you praying for that? I hope you are. I am. But more than that... What this world needs to have overcome is whatever the thing is in his life that turned him to evil and destruction in the first place. That's what we need victory from. Because the truth is, there have been countless Vladimir Putins throughout all of history. There was a guy by the name of Herod. He could have been called Putin, right? Jesus was born. People talked about the fact that he might be a king. And so what ended up happening is this world leader killed all the babies. All the baby boys. This has been happening since the very beginning of time. The truth is there's more than one out there right now. Ukraine is not the only country where people are dying at the hands of evil men. Some people are dying... At the hands of evil people in their life right now. Maybe not physically dying, but mentally dying. Spiritually dying. The hands of abuse. Let's bring it maybe closer to home. We're coming out of an incredibly challenging season, right? Two plus years of pandemic and political strife and global unrest. Just show of hands. I asked this at the last service because sometimes I feel alone. How many of you just feel this undefinable just sense of exhaustion some days? Thank you. I mean, literally, we were setting up for Palm Sunday, my wife and I, we were just sitting in those pews yesterday and just talking about this and just wondering how many of us are are feeling the, the same way. And on top of it, so many of us, because we're tired, we have a short fuse. And we're angrier than ever at the people that we define to be on the other side of us as if they're the enemy. And what we hear today is that Jesus did not come to destroy the other side, whatever you define the other side to be. Jesus came to remove the wall that divided us to begin with. He came to remove the divide. He did not come to destroy the enemy. He came to bring us together that we might not be enemies with him and each other anymore. And he came to bring a future that was also foretold by the prophets. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 11. It looks like this. This is the future Jesus came to bring. Where the wolf will live with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw with the ox. It continues, the infant will play near the cobras. Then I have an infant at home, I don't let him play by the stairs. The infant will play Near the cobra's den, the young child will put its hand into the vipers' net. Like, this is insane. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the future Jesus came to bring with his kingdom. And that is why on Palm Sunday, he didn't come to bring the best military victory. He came to show us that he came to bring a victory that will make the military itself obsolete forever. And that victory can't come through force. It can't come through force. We have to use force on this side of heaven, right? There's times, it's a very complicated question to ask when we're supposed to do that and how we're supposed to do that. But every time we do, we realize this is not in alignment with the kingdom of God. The kingdom that God came to bring will not come through force. It will have to come through peace. Force is what's gotten us into this mess. Forcing ourselves to become like God when we're not God. It has to come through peace. And the only way that Jesus could bring peace to earth is to allow the evil that destroys and divides us to overcome him. To allow it to do to him the very worst that it can do to us, and that is to kill him. So that he could die and show us three days later the way to the other side. It's the way that Jesus would teach the disciples to then live out this hope that he is about to bring on Easter. In John 15, a few verses later, he says to them and to us, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I do. Command He put himself in a vulnerable place on Palm Sunday that he might die so that in the eternal perspective of life, you don't have to. And I'll leave you with this. I, I mentioned when we went to the Air Force Museum, there were two exhibits that were my favorite. the One of them was Air Force One. The other one we almost walked right by. It was a display case that told the story of a man by the name of Billy Fisk. Has anybody here ever heard that name before? Any history buffs in here? Okay, just just one or two of you. Really incredible story. I almost walked right by it. Billy, here's this picture here. He was was the son of an American international banker. He was born in 1911. Grew up in Chicago, New York, all sorts of different places. Lived a very impressive young life. Studied economics and history in Cambridge. Um, This was cool. He led... Our, the United States Olympic bobsled team before John Candy made it cool with cool runnings. This is like before all of that, right? Um, he 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 was the youngest. Um, winter Olympic gold medalist in any winter sport, and he held that title. He was only 16, 17 years old when he got his first gold medal, and, and he won that in 1928 and held it until I think it was like 1992 when somebody else in the Winter Olympics was a little bit younger than him. And so that's his life. Like, that was just up through high school and college. Don't you already feel lazy? <laughs> and And yet, all of that hope and all of that potential... And 1936, the Winter Olympics came around again, and he refuses to participate. And he didn't say why, but the people that knew him well would later share that the reason was because they were being held in Germany in 1936. And if you know your history, you know this is the beginnings of what we would soon realize is World War II. And so he said... I don't want to go because he didn't want to go to this place where they were treating their Jewish citizens so poorly. And so that was 1936. And by 1939, he became the first American to enlist in the British Royal Air Force. And he was the first to enlist in the British Royal Air Force because at that time, the United States had not yet joined the war, and it was actually illegal for Americans to participate in the war, and so in order to get through it, he just lied and said, I'm from Canada, which is probably a good thing to try in all sorts of places, so just, anyway, keep that in the back of your mind. And so he lied. He said, I was from Canada. He he joined the British Royal Air Force and became the first American... Airman to die in World War II, and he was the only American to die in the Battle of Britain in August of 1940. Now, the reason that this display caught my eye was not from that story, I read all that later. It was the plaque that was, was shown a photo of there that they dedicated to Billy when his body was buried in a church um, on July 4th of that next year. And it says this it says very simply, an American citizen who died that England might live. An American citizen who died that England might live. And it caught my eye because at first glance, it sounds an awful lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And yet when we left the Air Force Museum that day, I said to to my wife Alyssa, I said, you know, as incredible as this place is, I'm also really sad. Because... Not soon after the Wright brothers invented and flew the first successful motorized airplane, we immediately had to figure out how to use it for war. And this museum wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the countless lives that have been lost in conflicts over the last century. And don't get me wrong, I am so very thankful, still thankful, as broken as we are, For our country and for the protection that those planes and those lives that have ridden them and flew in them and died represent. I'm so thankful for that. But on Palm Sunday as a Christian, I'm even more thankful that when God sent his son Jesus into the world, he said, there is coming a day where you will not need another plane. You will not need another military victory because what you need is a savior. And a Savior is what he came to be, and that is what he will come to do. To live, on Friday he will die, and on Easter Sunday he will rise again, that we might rise with him too, forever. And so would you join me now, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, by preparing ourselves the way those in the crowds prepared for Jesus coming on Palm Sunday. Lord Jesus, as we read this story and we think of these words, we can put ourselves in the shoes of those who were gathered in that place on that first Palm Sunday. The Roman Empire was an ugly, evil place. There was was relative political peace, but it came at the cost of total allegiance. Allegiance. Allegiance to what in many cases was evil. Allegiance to what in many cases robbed the people following the empire from the freedom that you would deserve for them to have. Enslaved them into a world that hurt them in body, mind, and soul. And so like the crowds that are gathered in Jerusalem on the Passover I can imagine that it isn't that difficult for us to put ourselves in that place that we too would lift up our palm branches, that we too would look to you and say, Jesus, Hosanna, save us. Save us from our oppressors. Put us in a position of safety. Be the authority, the king that we follow into prosperity, that we don't have to hide anymore, that we might be saved from our shame and from our guilt and from our fears. We join our brothers and sisters from 2,000 years ago and ask you, Jesus, for all of those good gifts as you come into this place to save us.